0: You know, there, I like surprises. I love surprises. I like the good ones. don't like the bad ones. I don't like the 3.15 a.m. phone calls. Do you all like those? No, you know, I mean, anytime you get a call at 3.15 a.m., what's the first thing that happens? I mean, everything in your body just kind of tenses up. Oh, no, who is it? You know, you know and, you, and you just pray it's a wrong number, you know, that you can just roll back over and go back to sleep. had a 3.15 a.m. call this morning, but it wasn't my phone that rang. It was God calling woke me up at 3.15 a.m., wouldn't let me go to sleep for about an hour and 45 minutes. You know, you keep laying there thinking, okay, I'm going to pray a little bit, and God's going to let me go to sleep. And, you know, I prayed a little bit, and just had to pray more and pray more. And it was about this sermon today. uh, I just had to pray through this sermon today. And i tell you that because, you know, if, um, if you get a phone call in the middle of the night, it's normally something serious, unless it's the wrong number, right? It's something serious. And so I believe that the phone call or the, little message I got at 3.15 a.m. this morning, and God not let me go back to sleep for an hour, I think it was was about 5 o'clock probably before I was able to go back to sleep, is that this was something that was serious. And uh, I'm starting a series this morning on uh, The Pretender. This is kind of a heavy series, really, in a way. It's... it's, um, you know, it's not that exciting stuff about we're going, we all are going to get blessed, we all going to get healed, we all going to get this and that. You know, and it's just wonderful and glorious. You know, and let's just all tell tell jokes and stories and smile and have a good time in church. But, but it's it's about the potentials and the possibilities. There's um, you know, talking about you know having a flat tire out there. You know, one of the things you can do to keep from having flat tires is don't let your tires go completely bald. Right? I mean, don't let them get just so so. Uh, you know, worn out that there's nothing there to protect them from having a flat. And, you know, like, you know, a lot of us, we run them until we get a flat, you know, and then we have to go replace them. But one of the better ways to do that is to take care of them. And so this sermon today is kind of like that. It's like taking care of your tires, rotating them, balancing them. And then when they start getting a little bald, you know, and start wearing out the tread, then getting a new set of tires. And that's the way this sermon is. It's a preventative maintenance sermon. It's, it's, not, it's like not, not waiting until you got a flat. But it's like, go ahead and taking care of it now. That's what this sermon's about. And and this this, uh, three-sermon series is on the pretenders and the book of Jude. You know Jude? That's the one right before Revelation. Most people can find that one because they know to go to the end and back up. In the book of Jude, the whole book is only one chapter, and the whole chapter is one little letter that he writes. And this whole letter is about warning us about the pretenders. And so that's what I want to preach to you about. And uh, let's look at at Jude for a moment. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into talking about one of these pretenders. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Okay, so the first two verses are just salutation stuff. here's, Here's the whole point, beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly For the faith which was once delivered for all, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Okay, he says, contend earnestly for the faith. He's saying, go very seriously and fight and do battle and contend. Okay, that's what contend means. You know, it it means to work. It means to to contend. It means to, to to fight. It means to do whatever's necessary to maintain. So contend earnestly for the faith, and not just. The faith, sometimes we see this as uh, how we're supposed to fight for, you know, Christianity here in our country. We're supposed to, that's not all these, talk, he's talking about an individual as well. So fighting for your individual faith and fighting for the faith for our church as well. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Let me say this, uh, because this was written in a very patriarchal time. You remember everything was ma- male, you know, men, 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 men. So it, there can also be women who creep in Unnoticed as well. All right, so he says, certain men have crept in unnoticed. He's talking to the church, talking about the church, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. They were ungodly. They turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're skipping down to verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what they said. Now they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Okay, I pastored for about 15 years before coming to this church and and, uh, to plant this church, relaunch this church, Church 2911. And I wish I could tell you that I, I don't know... One, I don't have one clue about what Jude is talking about, but I tell you, I read that and I see so many things in the past of pastoring, and I see these things over and over and over. Man, I back up a little bit, talk about complainers and grumblers, you know, and those, and right here at the end of this, those who cause division, and it happens. And so here's what I'm talking to you about, it, is it happens. And God God has blessed this church, you know, we, we've got a lot of growth, and you know, I'm I was, Tell the nine o'clock. I'm I'm really anxious to get into the middle of August or September sometime when everybody gets off vacation and we get everybody back all at once and just just really see what we've got here at the church because we've got so many missing every week. And I'm really anxious and looking forward to that because God has really blessed the church. And, and let me tell you another way He's blessed the church is He is really like it's like He just built this hedge of protection around us. You remember Job? If you remember that story, that's what He did with Job, and He protected Job. And God does this for us. He does it for us when we're when we're young in the faith and we don't know how to pray our own prayers. We don't know really how to fight. God just protects us and keeps us from uh, from a lot of the stuff that the devil would like to bring against us. And He does that for new ministries as well. He he protects them. But eventually, you know, we Christians, we have to grow up, we have to start fighting our own battles. And churches, we have to do the same thing. We have to grow up. And listen, let me tell you something. The first year and a half of, of this launch, this it's been easy. I, I know there's been a lot of hard work. I'm not saying that. But I'm telling tell you, it's been easy. We've not fought a lot of the devil. We've not fought a lot of it. But I tell you, the devil is not happy with what he's seeing going on here. There are a lot of people. We've got over 40 people attending this church right now that were unchurched before coming to Church 2911. You know, we've, we've got about 160, I guess, that attend here regularly, you know, we catch about 130 or so of them. Uh, but my dad used to say, he said, I'm running about 150, but I'm only catching about 130 of them or something. That's about, we've got about 160 or more people attending here, and about 130 we see week to week, you know, as, as they, as they kind of come and go. And you know what? Satan's not happy about that. He is not happy about it. And he wants to do whatever he can to stop that. He wants to run you off. He wants to hurt your feelings. He wants to find somebody that will come in here. And and that's what I want to preach to you about because they are coming. He's going to send them. He's going to find some. And you know what? They may be even a well-meaning soul, a person that has no idea how much Satan is going to try and use them to defeat a church, destroy a church, or even just destroy one of you. And you know what? this is my heart. This is my vision. This is my dream. This is what God put in me to build. And I'm not just going to stand idly by and say, well, come on in Satan and destroy what you, I want to fight for this thing. And I don't want to just fight after the devil's already gotten a toehold. I want to stand at the front door. And I pray, I pray this and I asked this in the 9am service as well. And I said, God, give us a uh, maybe two dozen people, men and women, who will stand with us at the front door. You remember like in the in the, in the night of the Passover, how the, the husband got out on the on the front step and he had the blood and he applied the blood to the doorpost and he rebuked the death angel from coming into his house and killing anybody? And you remember I, I encouraged all of you heads of household to be doing the same thing spiritually speaking. You know, you need to be out. Of, and you know what? Even physically, I think sometimes you need to get out on the front porch. I do. And you stand on the front porch and you just rebuke. The enemy that wants to bring uh, wants to bring disease and 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 uh, wants to bring confusion and wants to bring disharmony in your marriage and things into your into your into your house. You need to get out there on the porch. And in the same way, I pray God give us at least a couple of dozen men or women who will help me spiritually get out on the porch of our church and just rebuke. The, these pretenders that the, that the devil, this, this this pretending spirit that the devil wants to send into our church to destroy what God is doing. Now, listen, we're, we're really wrapping up. In, in these three sermons, we're kind of wrapping up the summer. I mean, you know, after these three weeks, you know, we're kind of going to be, kids are going to be back in school, basically, you know. And, and, and you know, we're, it's like we're wrapping up the summer with these three sermons right here. And, and so, so, and I know... You know what, it may not be the most exciting sermon you've ever heard because, you know, you know, you might want to swing from the lights, you know, and have just a really good shouting time or kind of the thing they used to talk about, you know. But listen, this is important to us. It is important. If we don't fight the fight... To make sure, God, open our eyes that if the pretender spirit walks in that back door, don't let it get on me. God, if the pretender spirit walks in that back door, give our pastor wisdom to not promote them to a place of leadership in the church. If that pretender spirit comes in, let us see it, God. And if it gets on somebody, and if they're a well-meaning soul, then God, help us help them. To get saved, you know, and get that, that pretender spirit off them and get the spirit of God within them because they cause division, not having the capital S spirit talking about the spirit of God because they've got this pretender spirit. That's the message. Heavy message this morning, huh? Heavy message. Will you accept it? Will you receive it? Will you hear it? Hanging over the pastor this morning. Let's pray. Father... Come to you one more time, God, just before this message, and ask your Holy Spirit to just lead us in this time, God. This is important, Lord. I I, I don't I don't know about gossip, God. I, I don't know about those things in this church. I, I don't see it. I don't hear it yet, Lord. But I know that the enemy, God, has a plan against what's going on in this. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like the growth. He doesn't like not just the numerical growth. He doesn't like the spiritual growth that is happening in so many of these, Lord. How they how they're really getting a hold of you. How they're beginning to dig deeper. He doesn't like that, God. And he's got a plan. And I just pray, God, give us at least a couple of dozen men and women who, every day that they wake up, they will call on Your name and they will rebuke the spirit that wants to come in and destroy what you are doing in this house. I pray in Jesus' name that it be done. And, and God, we just wrap it all up. We just wrap it all up in Your in Your name and Your power and Your strength, God. And we ask You, Lord, to, to continue to protect us, but Lord, not as babes, protect us as men, protect us, Lord, as grown ups, protect us as adult Christians, Lord, by showing us what the enemy is doing, so we. We can stand against it, Lord, and keep it from happening, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Every Sabbath morning, a particular man gets up early, starts preparing to go to worship, puts on his clothes, checks to make sure he has his offering, got everything together, you know. He's thinking about, you know, it's, it's not, you know he's not thinking about lunch after church. Y'all ever think about lunch before church? During church, during the sermon, after you nodded off twice or whatever, I must just be hungry. You start thinking, not thinking about lunch. He's thinking about worship. He, he's putting on his putting on his best. You know, he's doing everything. It's what he's been thinking about all week. He's been getting ready for this. You know, he's got all he's got his got his gift. He's ready to go to worship and all this. And he's, he goes to worship. He's got his mind on it, but he approaches his worship in a way different than most people do in the church today in the church world today. Because he actually goes to worship expecting that he's going to connect with God, and God is going to speak to him. He actually expects to hear something from God every time he goes to worship. Now, you know what? Most of us don't do that, do we? Amen or oh me, right? We don't do that. We don't actually walk in the door thinking, hey, this morning I am going to hear something from God. No, we walk in the door knowing that we're going to hear some long sermon from the pastor, right? Uh, we know that, but we, are we going to hear anything from God? Now, the The visitors just got really, really scared because I said, long sermon. But don't worry about it. It won't be that long this morning. But we we know we're going to hear something from the pastor, but we don't have this expectation. This guy had an expectation. He was going to hear from God every time he came to worship. And he comes to worship, and he enters worship, and he brings his gift, and he presents it to God. And I don't know how God tells him, but every single week, God says, I can't accept your gift. I will not receive your gift. I don't know how. This is a true story too. It's one of the oldest stories in all of history because it's the story of Cain. Every week he got up, got dressed, got his offering, went to his place of worship, and every week that he gave his his offering to God, God said, I can't take that. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff about what we think and why we think that, but I I want us to really get into the why because Cain was the worship pretender. Okay, we're going to talk about three pretenders this week, next week, and the next. He was the worshiper. He was the one who made a pretense of worship. Let's read his story. Genesis chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. And you'll find out in the next verse that he didn't respect Cain and his offering. Now, the thing about Cain's offering is, that we know is that his was, basically his was vegetables. I mean, you know, he was a gardener, and whatever his garden brought, that's what he brought to God. And God couldn't accept it because God said, i got to have a blood sacrifice. And you know the saying, you don't get blood from a turnip, Right. And so God said, I can't take this. you got to give me something with some blood in it. Well, Cain, every single Sabbath that came to pass, every time he went to worship, he kept bringing the vegetables. And God couldn't accept it because that wasn't what God said had to be. But... His brother Abel, it says right here, it said that, I'm sorry, I knew we'd skipped on it, it but it said that uh, his sacrifice or his offering was accepted by God. Well, what do we find out about Abel's sacrifice? There's two things mentioned there. And one of them was that he gave of the firstborn of his flocks. Now, now the first isn't always the best, okay? I, we're not talking about, the, you know, running a race and being the fastest. We're talking about the firstborn. I'm the firstborn. I kind of... I kind of tend to think that firstborns are the best because I am one, you know. But, uh, you know, I've got two brothers younger than me that would probably beg to differ about that, about which is the best. But first isn't always best. But here, here's the thought here. It's not that, that they were the best, but here's the thought. Is that, is that in that week or that month or whatever, when, you know, after, after uh, Abel had given his sacrifice, then, the you know, that next week or whenever it was was, the first lamb that was born... Abel was thinking, when it, when it was being born, he was saying, okay, this, this one's God. This, this one belongs to him. It, it's God's. You know, and so it didn't matter. You know, when it came out, it didn't matter if it was pretty or ugly or whatever. It didn't matter if it was big or little. This one belongs to God. The, the point here is, is, that, is that Abel had it on his heart and in his mind that at the very beginning, I'm giving something to God. He didn't just. Decided the last moment, oh, they're going to receive an offering. Let me dig in here and see if I can find a dime or something to give an offering. You know, it wasn't one of those kinds of things of, oh, oh, I forgot to write out my check this morning or what. It wasn't, he was thinking about it all week long. It was the very first thing. Whenever he had any increase in his life, it was the first thing he said. He said, this one belongs to God. But the second thing there was this Hebrew word, Caleb, uh, which means fat. Okay. He brought up the fat of the first. He brought the fat of the very first things. And so, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just the fact that that he brought the first ones, but when he sacrificed and and he cut up he 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 brought God the fat. He brought God the best you know, it's like the best cut of meat. And you'll find later is this is exactly what God instructs uh, Israel to do. And he wants the fat. The fat's supposed to be given to God. We're not just supposed to give God, you know, the, the cheap parts of, of he, he told the Israelites, don't just give me the cheap parts of the of the animal. He said, I want the fat. I want the good stuff. And God wants the best out of us. He wants it, he wants it first and he wants it fat. He wants the, he wants the best part. But, and the whole Context here, the whole thing that we're trying to get to is, is that what Abel brought to God was, was a sacrifice that was spiritually fat. It was something that was on his mind. It was on his heart. I gotta bring this to God. And it was spirit, it had substance to it. It wasn't, it wasn't just, you know, just any little thing. It was something he, he did with, with thought. He did in process. And he said, I'm gonna give God my very, very best. Yeah, this morning I got a good illu- sermon illustration right before the nine a.m. service. Went to Jack's, got got a, a steak biscuit and sweet tea, and came in, sat down in the in the cafe, and I was going over here to the cafe room and was going to eat my eat my sauce, uh, steak biscuit and sweet tea. And and Kristen came in, my daughter Kristen came in with my little granddaughter Brooklyn. You know, she they came in, they sat down by me, and uh, you know. Whatever Pop's got to eat is a whole lot better than whatever she's got to eat. You know, it's got to be, you know. And so she's already reaching wanting my tea, and she's wanting some of my... Well, I break off a little bit of the biscuit and hand to her. I didn't know if she could handle the, the steak so much, you know, if she'd like that or not. So I was breaking off, and she kept reaching, so I'd break off some more of the biscuit. And then she she, was, she noticed there was something besides biscuit in between there, and she was wanting some of that, you know. And so finally she got her a piece of it, and she kind of liked it. It was really just the... You know, the breading on that, uh, on that country fried steak that was in that biscuit. And she got a piece of that and she wanted a little more. So I finally got her a piece that had the biscuit and the steak and get, and she really liked that. And, and then she got down kind of walking around a little bit. And I got distracted and, uh, and my biscuit had fallen apart with all this tearing and reaching and all that, you know, and I had just pieces there and, and I uh, kind of got distracted and I looked back down just in time to see her hand go up and grab the last bit of steak and right in her mouth in a hurry, you know, and it was gone. And, uh, and Kristen's apologized. Said, no, that's, you know, that's awesome. That's great. But you know what she was like? I'm tired of this biscuit. Let's you know, let's have some meat here. You know, let's have some steak. Let's have some good stuff. And so she was she said I want this. And that's what God is saying. God said, I'm tired. You know, I'm tired of just you know, I think I was made in God's image because I'm I get tired of vegetables in a big hurry because I don't like a whole lot of them. I believe God said, I'm, you know, I'm, don't bring me turnips all the time. You know, I don't want turnips. He said, I want some fat. I want some meat. I want some good stuff. I want the stuff that you've got to sweat over like that. I want the stuff that you would like to eat yourself. I, I want the very best that you have to offer. That's what God was requiring. But this message isn't about Abel. This message is about Cain. But I wanted you to see this is where we've got to be. But the pretender is Cain. So let's go back to Cain, verse 5 but he did not respect God didn't respect Cain's offering and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell let me let me let me say this right here. here here is the whole problem you see often when if you've ever heard this story if you've ever heard it taught if you've ever heard it preached often what we look at the stories we see we see two distinct offerings and we say that's the problem vegetables and meat and that's the problem God wanted blood and he didn't want just vegetables but that's not really the basis of the problem because the basis of the problem is the attitude. Now, now think about Cain. Every single Sabbath day, he goes with something from the ground, vegetables, fruits, or something from the ground, and God says, I can't take that. Now, what would you do next Sabbath day if you wanted God to accept your gift? I mean, wouldn't you do something different than vegetables? I mean, wouldn't you take some vegetables over to Abel's tent and say, hey Abel, how about I buy a lamb from you? For a... Wouldn't you do something different? I mean, you would do something different because you would know that God is not going to accept this, this coming Sabbath. But Cain continued to offer the same thing. The problem was, he, he had an attitude problem. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He had an attitude problem. The, the yeah, I, the problem was he wasn't offering the right sacrifice, but the reason he wasn't offering the right sacrifice is he had an attitude problem. And his attitude problem with God was, you know, it's, I won't give you what you ask for, I'll give you what I want you to have. And it's almost like he was going to be God's God. And he was going to say, you're going to take what I want to give you, and eventually I hope you're going to like it. And instead of doing what God wants, so he had an attitude problem. Now verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay, so God says, look, why are you so upset? Because if you do what's right, I'm going to receive your gift. Now, does that mean God's going to receive his his vegetables? I don't think it's that. Here's what's going to happen. If Cain gets his attitude right, if Cain gets his heart right, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go find a way to give God what God wants. But the problem is because he's got a bad attitude, he keeps trying to give God something God doesn't want. He keeps he is in disobedience, and now his disobedience, because he knows what God wants, now his disobedience is rebellion because he continues to go against what God has told him he wants to do. And so he got a bad attitude, now it's moved into rebellion. And here's what God says. This little phrase right here, sin lies at the door. Here's what God says. God says, and, and, and these, these Hebrew words right there for sin, the, one, the, the Hebrew word there for sin is katal or something like that. And, and uh, it, it means an offense and also the the result or the punishment of the offense. Okay, so you've got to wrap all that up together. That's what he means when he says here by sin. He's talking about a sin and also the, the, the problems that come from the sin, the penalty that will come into your life because of the disobedience and the, and, the, and the rebellion that you have in your life. And he says it lies at the door. And this word lies is like... It's it's not like you and I lie down. I meant when we lie down, you know, we kind of lay down completely out. You know, we're just, uh, you know, laying down with our mouth wide open, you know, slobbering drool and all that. You know, no, this this lying down is like a crouching, like an animal does. You know how a dog lays down? You know, bends all four legs, you know, right up under him, and and and, and you just hear one little sound, and what happens? The ears prick up. And because the dog is laying like this, I mean, the dog is up that quick. I mean, you know, me and you, you know, we lay down and go to sleep. What happens? You know, I mean, it, 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 it's a good 20, 30 seconds, you know, to jump up and try to get, you know, you get that phone call at 3.15 a.m. But that's not the lying it's talking about. It's talking about, it's talking about, almost like a lurking, a crouching, that, you know, a a dog, that even even if his eyes are closed, you know, he's right there. And the the word for door right there means an open door or an open way. Or it also means throwing something wide open. Here's what God is saying. God is saying because of your attitude and your disobedience, your rebellion and all this that is in your heart, that sin and the result of sin is laying crouched at the open door of your house. And you know what it's doing? It's going in and out of your house. it's running in and it's coming out and it's going in and it's coming out. And you've got sin coming and you've got rebellion coming and you've got, you've got all these things coming. And you've got the results of all this coming and going in and out of your house because you don't have the right attitude. And if you, and if you will, he says, he says, its desire is for you, but you should rule or you should master it is what the words there in the Hebrew actually mean. You should master it. You have the power over your attitude and you need to get your attitude under control because if you get your attitude under control, God says... I'll receive your gift. But if you don't get your attitude under control, sin and the result of sin is going to constantly just be going in and out your house. It is living at your front door. It's not asleep. It's living at your front door, going in and out of your house because of this bad attitude you have. Now, this is the kind of attitude that we're talking in in the pretender that we don't want to come into our church, that we've got to be aware of. Look at verse 8. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so what does the pretender do? The worship pretender, the guy who makes a pretense of worshiping God, what does he do? Instead of changing and doing what's right, getting his attitude right and and preparing the right kind of worship for God that God desires and God deserves and God wants, what does he do? He goes and kills the real worshiper. I mean, that's that's the way some people get on top. They kill everybody that's over them, right? I mean, you know, there's a couple of ways to make it to the top, right? One is to climb your own way. The other is to pull everybody else down that's in front of you. Oh, and it happens in church. I've seen it happen in church, and some of you have been hurt by that. Amen or oh me. You don't have to say it out loud. Some of you have been hurt by that. Other people pulling you down because you were trying to do right with God. That's what Abel had done. Abel had done everything right with God. And the only way Cain could get up to a place where he could be accepted by God, he thought, was to pull Abel down. Because if I pull Abel down, and, of course, he pulled Abel down all the way. I mean, he killed him. Then, you know, Cain coming now with his, with his, with his garden vegetables, Cain coming to God now with his garden vegetables was about the best God could have on the Sabbath. Because now Abel was totally out of the way. And that's the spirit of the worship pretender that slips in unaware and makes a pretense of worship and it wants to kill and shoot all those that are worshiping God in spirit and truth. And I, I, you know, I don't have this in my notes because I, I didn't want to study it. God and I talked about it this week and I just left it to God if he would bring it to my attention right now or not. But I've got to tell you this. is I've seen, I've seen them from both sides of the aisle and not that we're split by our aisles, but I've seen them from both sides of of the spectrum, one end of the spectrum of the people that are real demonstrative in worship and the people that are real serious and quiet in their worship and pointing your fingers at one another and pulling each other down because oh no, that's not the way you're supposed to worship God. Oh, that's not the way you're supposed to because the word says this and the word says this and the word says this and the word says this. You know what? Have we not seen right here in this already today? That it's not about the sacrifice. It's about the attitude of the one bringing the sacrifice. And when you've got the right attitude, what happens? Then you'll have the right sacrifice. You'll have the right worship. Because I've seen both. And, I, and I've seen the attacks on those for this. And I've seen the attacks on those for that. And I've seen everybody attacking one another. And I've seen us all pulling one another down. And you know what it ends up then? Nobody's worshiping. Nobody's worshiping because nobody's got an attitude to worship. Nobody's got, nobody's got a desire to worship. And thank God. Thank God we have not seen that happen here yet. But we better get our eyes open and pray, God, do not let the spirit of the worship pretender enter our house. This is serious. Now look with me, if you will. Where was it that Cain killed Abel? Where was it? In the field. What else did Cain do in the field? The field was the place where he cultivated the stuff that he would offer to God as his worship. So think about this. Cain killed Abel in the place where he raised his praise. Ooh, no wonder God couldn't touch that stuff. No wonder God says, I can't accept that. You see, it was a whole lot more than just vegetable or an animal. It was a whole lot more than that. Because what was happening is every day of the week, Cain was mad. I mean, he had a bad attitude. He hated Abel. You know, Abel was getting accepted by God, and I wasn't, I'm wasn't. i not getting accepted by God. And so every day that he's out there working in his garden, and he's tilling his garden, he's mad at Abel. You know, he's got a root there, and he's banging on that root, and he's seeing the face of Abel. You know, and he's just banging away at it, and killing this, and killing this. And he is crucifying, he's killing, he's he's shooting that, and he's he's maybe even cursing out loud his brother in the place. Where he's raising his praise, and, and you know you're gonna you'll see this throughout the New Testament. This is a theme in the New Testament. Here, here, here's here's the crux of the matter. I guess we get to right here. It's, I, believe, I believe God's telling us this in this story. Can, Abel is God's son, and we're all God's children. I mean, everybody in the world is. A lot of them are just estranged from him. They've, they've left him and they've just yet to come home. But we're God's children. And here's what I think God is saying. Is God is saying, you can't kill my child, shoot at him, gossip about him, slander him, lie about him, cuss him, and all that in your mind and kill him in your heart. You can't kill my child all week long and then dress it up on Sunday and expect me to receive it from you. Can't do that, and we've seen it happen. We've seen—I mean, we've seen churches literally just die. I mean, like just lose everything, and there's no spirit. You know, they're just like the whole—the whole spirit of of Cain just takes over the church, and it's no longer just divisive. I mean, I I mean, it just dies. There's there's no more spirit anymore because they they're just killing one another. And where do they do it? In the place where they raise their praise. I mean, they come to church to gossip and whisper. They come to church. Oh, I see some smiles. <laughs> I, come on, amen or oh me? I can tell you, I've seen it, and that's why I'm so serious about this. Is we better pray about? It. And let me tell you, it's not here yet, but it's coming. Unless somebody helps the pastor pray, it's trying to come in the door. Somebody help me get out there on the door door stoop and, and say and pray against it and say, God, not in this house. Because you know what? I got that little that little granddaughter. That stole my steak this morning, and she's got a little brother. Cause we found out this past week on Tuesday we're having a grandson, so we're, we're excited about that. And, and he'll be here first of December. And you know what? So I've got these two, not to mention my wife and my son-in-law, my daughter. I've got these two, right? You know what? I don't, I don't want them coming into a church full of dead bodies. Where we've been shooting each other and killing each other and slandering each other and gossiping about each other. And you gotta, you gotta decide, well, I can't sit over here because then that person will think that I'm mad at them because of whatever, whatever, or they'll think I agree with them. I I don't, I don't even want, I don't want any of that stuff in my church. I don't want it around my grandkids. I don't want it around my wife. I don't want it around my children. I don't want it around me. And I definitely don't want it to get on me. And the only way to keep that from happening is to stand at the stoop and say, God, don't let it even get inside the door. And if it starts getting inside the door, God, give us wisdom to see it and wisdom to know and make sure that it doesn't get inside because once it gets inside, you know what, it'll it'll slide up beside somebody and it'll start getting on them and it'll start whispering in their ear and they'll say, yeah, I guess that sounds pretty good because it'll be colored in just such a way, you know, it'll be told in just such a a, a tenor that, that they'll say, yeah, that, 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 that sounds pretty good. I, I guess you're right about that. And they'll be swayed, and all of a sudden, they'll have the spirit of Cain upon them. And the pretense of worship of coming in here on Sunday morning to glorify God is no longer that. One last thing, and we're just going to wrap it up here today. The voice of your brother's blood cries out. God says the voice, Jamie, come on. The voice of, of your brother's blood. The Hebrew word there for blood is actually, in the original text, is actually a plural word, okay? Now, blood is kind of one of those weird words that it doesn't have to add an S to be plural, you know? I mean, you don't say bloods. I mean, we don't even say bloods. We just say blood. You know, a lot of blood, a bunch of drops of blood. It's not a bunch of drops of bloods. It's just blood. Why would God say the voice of your brother's blood? Bloods. When Cain killed Abel, he didn't just kill Abel. But Abel had unborn children. In the future, there were going to be grandchildren born to Abel. No doubt. You know, 80, 90%. You know, it's just probably very unlikely that had Abel lived, he'd not have children. And so God was telling Cain, you haven't just killed your brother, but the voice of your brother's bloods, his children and his grandchildren and his great and everyone on down the line, the voice of their blood is crying out to me from the ground. Spiritually speaking, you know, you've got a lot of people that are going to be born. Every one of you has a blood lineage, spiritually speaking. You know, I mean, I've got kids and grandkids. That one and a half grandkids. I've got kids, and, you know, and, and it's physically but spiritually there are others as well. Some of you are in my spiritual bloodline because you've come to know the Lord through my ministry. doesn't make you belong to me, those kinds of things. Just you're in that bloodline. And if the enemy and listen, oh man, I've had attacks, you got a couple hours? See me this afternoon, I can tell you the stuff the enemy has tried to destroy ministry. Destroy name, reputation, those kinds of things. And you know what? If he had been successful, Church 2911 probably wouldn't be here. God would find another way, hopefully, to minister, but but what the devil hopes to do is he he hopes to destroy ministry. 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 And when Cain slips in here, he's not just, if, if, if this, this pretense spirit of Cain gets into our church, he's not going to just kill me or you, and, and it's going to be you that leaves and says, I'll never be back there because they did so and so, or somebody said this about me, or I heard this or whatever, and, so, and one of you quits. It's all those other people also that God was going to use you to reach, to bring to church. Well, that's why this is so serious. It's not just about us. It's about, it's about two or three more generations of spiritual children and grandchildren that God wants to bring into our church that the spirit of Cain is going to try to get in. And God, give us a couple of men or women strong enough, willing to stand up every morning and say, not in our church. I want to ask you to do me a favor. Would everybody stand and come? Let's have a closing prayer in the altar.